So again, Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, the word of the Lord. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with the armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who is in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The word of the Lord. So as we come to this verse, you have to, this passage, it's good to ask ourselves, would be asked, you know, what, how do you tend to think of God? What kind of God do you have? Is he, is he mean? Is he kind of judgmental? Is he scary? Is he kind? Is he good? Is he gentle? And maybe you think of God the Father one way and God the Son another way. God of the Old Testament being one way and God of the New Testament being another way. But the Bible does not allow for that. But you can believe whatever you want to about God. You can believe anything you want to about anything. But that doesn't change what reality is. The, the, the trick, so to speak, is to make sure that as much as possible, our beliefs about things conform to the reality of the way things are. And we live in a time when um, there are certain um, ways of thinking that sort of seeps in underneath everything, so that you have these things called paradigms, ways of thinking without thinking about what you're thinking about, which is your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and you believe what you want, and I believe what I want, and that's just fine and good. And there's a certain amount of truth in that. We shouldn't be killing each other over what we, what we believe. Of course, it depends on what we're talking about, but there is a reality. I can believe that God is one particular way, but that doesn't mean that he is that particular way. Many people create their God in, in their own minds um, to suit their own needs and wants. Do they want a God that will punish evil? Then they get a God in their mind that they preach that will punish evil. Do they want a God that forgives all sin and will never judge evil, that, 
that will never do any such a thing, then that's their God. And you may want to believe that you can jump off a tall building and fly like Superman until you decide to act on that belief and you jump off the building, then gravity will teach you, reality will kick in, and probably less than halfway down, you'll think, I should probably change my belief system. And this is one of the things that God does through trials as he perfects our faith. We, go, we follow after God, believing a particular way. Trials happen. Then we have to say, wait a second. <laughs> How does this conform with what I've been believing? You go back to the Word of God. You see things you didn't see before, and your faith gets perfected a little bit more. Not because your experience is greater than the Bible, but we tend to read the Bible, especially if you just read fast. You'll read through the Bible, and it's like, and what did you get out of it? Even if you do read that fast, what you will get out of it through a quick reading without study, prayer, worship, being in church together, going through difficulties with the Lord, praying through things, attempting to trust him with your obedience, things like this, you'll never, you will come up with all sorts of false gods in your mind because we tend to see the things we want to see and hear the things we want to hear. So if the God you believe in is not real, then, you, then that's called worshiping an idol. If the God you believe in is named Jesus, but you are wrong about who he really is, then you're worshiping an idol named Jesus. Just because um, I have a, a car and I call my car a horse doesn't mean that my car is a horse. It's not going to run off a of hay. It's going to require the things that cars require. So if you're an actual born-again child of God, you've been given a new heart. You have a different way of understanding and feeling about these things, a different understanding of love, a different understanding of grace and hope and of sin and wrath, a different way of looking at yourself, a different way of looking at what reality really is. A lot of things in the beginning may just be shaken and knocked down, and you have to say, where am I? What am I? We'll call that hitting rock bottom at times, and some people will say that's what needs to happen. I think that's heresy. I think that rock bottom, when somebody hits it, it's just um, maybe they might say, oh no, help me out, help me out. But the Bible says, uh, and this is kind of gross, you know, the dog returns to its vomit. So, you know, it's like, and you know this in your life, maybe you've hit rock bottom. And maybe that's when you reached out for something, for anything, for Something. And C.S. Lewis talks about men in foxholes in the war, and many of them turn to Christ because it's so awful and so terrible. They finally let go of things that they've been trusting in and look for something else, and they find the Lord. But that's not what salvation, that's not how it works. I mean, it does work like that sometimes. But if somebody turns to the Lord in trial, it's because they've heard the preaching of the gospel. Some people come to the, the Lord when things are wonderful. And if we look at somebody and think the reason they haven't come to the Lord is because they haven't hit rock bottom yet, it's because they have not understood that they were born at rock bottom. And all they continue to do is bang their heads against insufficient salvations that are only designed to placate, to help them be comfortable living at the bottom, living in the ditches. And our government can be very good at helping people being comfortable with living in these areas. And so the gospel has to go forth with more than a message of comfort. It has to go forth with a message of who God is. And so we have to ask the question, who is God? Because we have really created, at times, a very mild, gentle Jesus who 
would never, ever judge anybody. It's, it's, it's kind of bad to be judging anybody. But with, as a believer, something different has happened. You have a different way of understanding and feeling about things, a different understanding of love and grace and hope and of sin and wrath. And we've been given the insight by the Holy Spirit to believe the Bible to be the inerrant and fallible word of God, that the Bible is true truth. That's something that a Christian, why do we believe the Bible is true? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of this in our hearts. That's ultimately the ground base of all our belief. And we will have wrong ideas about God, and we'll spend an eternity learning more and more about him and, and his creation and our role in it. But much, much about God has been revealed in his word. So that many, many things about God, our God, the true and living God, many true things can be known about him. But if we ignore our Bibles or if we read our Bibles and when we come across something we don't like, we sort of discard it. Um, you know, there's, there's um, people in, in history who um, you can find their Bibles and what they've done is they've sort of gone through and marked out things they don't think are true. <laughs> so there's the, yeah, it shouldn't be. The Thomas Jefferson Bible is one such Bible, and you see it was cut up so much that it's almost like there's no Bible at all. You have to be very careful to let the Word of God say who God is. If we ignore the Bible or twist it to match our desires, then we'll be, at best, weak Christians. And here in Revelation, with Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ is what this word apocalypto, revelation, means is a pulling back of the curtain of who Jesus Christ is. We see another aspect of who he is. In verse 11, we see that he says, I saw heaven opened. Now earlier in Revelation, John says, I, the writer of Revelation says, I saw a door open in heaven. And he's able to look into the door. I see some things. And so there's a vision that I've seen. And another place it says the sanctuary was opened in heaven. So I'm getting to see inside a little bit deeper. And then it says the sanctuary, that, it says the temple was opened. Then it says later he sees the sanctuary of the temple. So he's seeing deeper and deeper into the things of heaven through these revelations. But now what we see is heaven is open. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. What we see is heaven is open, completely open. But it's not so much that we can see in, but what we see happening is Christ and his armies are coming out. And so what you have to recognize from the book of Revelation is this is the sixth cycle of judgment. So there's going to be a seventh. But we see what's called a recapitulation of the judgment of the world. If you've been with us and you've been reading through Revelation and we've been preaching through Revelation, we've come to the end of the world several times. And what we do again is like, okay, we're going to go back again and look at it from this perspective. And this perspective is Christ going forward in faithfulness and truth with the armies of heaven. And it's debated as to whether this is the church behind him or angels behind him. I, I tend to think it's the, the, um, the church behind him because we just saw the, the wedding supper of the lamb and they were clothed in white linen. You don't usually see that the angels are white and bright, but they're not clothed in this white linen. But it's, it's Christ coming forward. And we're going to look at this, this wonderful imagery that we have, that we see. Because here, he is coming out of heaven to earth with his armies. And we have seen that Revelation paints a true picture of the world with its darkness and evil. But also the church 
as a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. These are the things that we've seen that are clear in the book of Revelation. The church is to be proclaiming Christ's word to all who will hear and to all the nations. And we've seen that the great enemy of the church is Satan. In Revelation, he's called the dragon. So kids, this is, this is a good book for kids because it's like you just get to, it's like a picture book of these spiritual realities and you're kind of looking at a behind the scenes thing with all this imagery that's supposed to teach you a truth. So you get this, this red dragon and it's like, that's Satan, red dragon. And he controls the beast and the beasts are evil kingdoms, governments, leaders, but they're being controlled by Satan and he controls who's called the false prophet. And the false prophet teaches prophetic word, it's false prophets, ideologies. We have people who are, you say, can a, can a believer be possessed by a demon? Uh, no, I don't think so, but you can be tempted, you can be led astray, you can be caught by him to do his desire. And we have what's called ideological possession. There's a big old long multisyllabic word. Ideological possession. You've been captured by ideas that have been implanted in the world and in your head by Satan himself. And it becomes a religious dogma. It becomes truth to you. And it's very difficult sometimes because of the way we've learned to deal with the discomforts and trials of life that are contrary to the Word of God. So if you have some way you're dealing with comfort and trials and troubles and it's working for you, you know, it's, like, it's like taking a, a medication that's helping some big problem you had. So you take this medication, you're in a lot of pain. So you take this medication, and it's, it's taking care of your pain. But then the doctor says, you keep taking this, and you're going to die. And so you think, if I stop taking it, I'm going to hurt. So I don't want to stop taking it. And then he says, but if you take this, you're not going to have the pain. And not, so it's like, it's a fearful thing to let go of things that we're using to comfort ourselves. And this is the problem with addictions. This is a problem with all sorts of things like this. But it's, it's easier to see a drug addict's addiction than it is to see a, a sinner's addiction to what? You know, what comfort do you bring to yourself? We'll call it venting sometimes. That's, that's my favorite word. Sorry, I was just venting. No, you weren't. You were spewing <laughs> hateful, vile that was coming out of your mouth towards others or whatever just because it felt that's the flesh. The flesh does that. And we'll say to ourselves, well, that's the way it has to be. But God's word says, allow me to be your comfort. Allow me to be your hope. Cast your anxiety on me because I care for you. We'll pray for one another. We'll handle these things the way God says do it. But God will say do things sometimes in a way that's going to be contrary to the way that you have learned to do things. And it's very difficult in those times to change. That's why you need to be around believers. If you get around a bunch of people who are not believers, it's like trying to quit smoking, okay? And uh, if somebody smokes and they're addicted to cigarettes and they have this habit and they're trying to quit, the last place you want to be is around a whole bunch of people that are smoking. Not only because it's a temptation, but because those guys will tell you you'll never be able to quit. I quit years and years and years ago smoking cigarettes before my kids were born. But it's amazing the number of people who will tell you you'll never be able to kick that habit. So it's true with all of the things, basically, that we use in this life to comfort ourselves. You will find Satan's minions who will come along beside you and say, you need to maintain the way you're doing things because this is wrong and this is, this is good for you. So you have to be careful who you're listening to. 
And we need to be careful as Christians that we're professing the word of God, that what we believe and the advice we give is actually the word of God because the false prophet is fake ideologies, false religions, fake news. You know, we all see this today where it's like, you know, what's going on in Ukraine? What's going on with Russia? And it concerns me when I see the news media telling me whose side to be on. And they're very united in it. And I'm not there. And I don't know. But what I do see is the evils of war. What I do see is the beast on the march in Ukraine. There are very evil, wicked people in Ukraine. There are very evil, wicked people in Russia. There are very wicked, evil people everywhere you go. So the question is, what? is going on, and on whose side am I to be? Joshua asked this very question of the angel of the Lord. He looked at the angel of the Lord as he said, whose side are you on? And his answer was, no, I am the angel of the Lord. You're asking the wrong question. The question is, are you on God's side? And so that's what we pray for the war that's taking place, that Satan's objective in warfare, as we've seen in Revelation, is total. He doesn't want to stop there. And I'm not saying Putin is the Antichrist. I'm not saying he's Satan. I'm saying that when you see things like this happening, you know that the ideology behind this is satanic. So we pray for the solution, which is what? And if you're talking about military, politically or something, above my pray grade, above my ability to know because there's so much lies. And we've seen it. And it's like the false prophet enabling people to follow the beast. So you had to be careful. And the way I've seen it recently, I've seen prophecy being projected to us. It just means where you're hearing information about the way things are. Social media, TV, news, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Gitter, all these places that you see information coming at you. And you had to be very careful. Our government has picked up on it because it's all, they would say back, you know, it's all Russia, Russia, Russia. And the church should look at this and go, it's Satan, Satan, Satan. How do we know the truth? How do you know the truth and the lie? Revelation talks about even the, even the elect would be deceived if the time was not cut short. So don't think you can't be deceived. Don't think everything that you believe about the way things are working politically, that is correct. But what you do know is the gospel is powerful. The gospel goes forth. That God is working in the midst of everything that's happening over there now. And what we see is Christ coming out of heaven with the armies and the way he feels about evil that's being perpetrated on mankind particularly about the church. So leaders will even tend to speak in religious terms. They'll give their ideas government-empowered teeth, and we've seen it. So unless you're also in love with the, an idol that you have of government power to give you security and the claims it has to provide for you different things, or if you're in love with the world so that you won't believe anything that challenges your worldview and 
your worldview influencers, then it's going to be difficult for you to see that Christ is indeed at work behind these things because the ultimate king is Jesus and he is on the throne. Just in verse 11, you see why we're not going to do all of chapter 19, he's on a white horse. Now, Easter is coming up, and we know we see at Easter time we talk about the triumphal entry of Christ coming into Jerusalem. He comes on a donkey, a colt of a donkey. He's just a, a, a little donkey, young donkey. And it's like, why is the king coming into Jerusalem on a donkey? He ought to be coming in on a big old white horse. And that's what they were looking for. Like, there's the king. He's going to run the Romans out of here. He's going to take over the government, and we're going to rule this place. Come on, King Jesus. And there's a lot of people who have their end times theology where they believe that's still what he's aiming at, but it's greater than that. But why a donkey? And the reason is, it was a symbol of peace. When a king came into a city and he was riding a white horse, arrayed like a warrior, buddy, the city better, you, this trouble coming. But he's on a donkey. He's a peaceful mission. He's coming in. This is peace. They'll bring, often they'd bring um, treasure on donkeys. They'd bring a sacrifice in on a donkey. They would do things like this to say, this is a peaceful mission that I'm on. So the king has come in peace to Jerusalem to bring peace, to be a sacrifice, to be the sacrificial lamb. So we think of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, gentle and lowly. To the believer, to the church, he is. But there's more to Jesus than that. The one sitting on this white horse is called faithful and true. So this is a picture of Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He is true, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. In righteousness, he does this. So this is a good thing, the way he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, what's that mean? It conjures up a few things. Fire is a judgment word. It's flames of fire. He sees through everything. Any, anything that you have built up in your life that's an excuse for why you don't go to Christ, for why I believe this, why I believe that, all these things he sees. And for those who are enemies of God, who have received the mark of the beast, if you're not in Christ, then you are, there's no middle ground. You're either following Satan still, and he has you deceived, or you're following Christ. And his eyes are flaming eyes of judgment. And on his head are many diadems. It's a word for crowns. There's another word, stephanos. It means a victor's crown. But we saw Satan's dragon, and we saw the beast wearing, one has seven crowns, and the other has ten crowns, these diadems. But here, those are limited numbers. But here, Christ has many of these diadems, these big, huge king crowns, because he is the ultimate king. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Everybody wonders, what's he talking about there? Because he gives a couple names later, and we have a few names for Christ, but I think what this means, and most commentators agree that this is a part, at least, of what it means, is that to know someone's name is to know the person and the character, and that Christ has a name, Jesus has a name, that we don't fully understand, and we'll spend an eternity knowing who he is and what his character is. But the things we do know about him are true. We will never find something that contradicts something that he's revealed about himself. In 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. So that's interesting. And so what does it mean to have a robe dipped in blood? Why would it be dipped in blood? And so this is a warrior king that's going forth. And as he, and we've seen in other parts of Revelation, he takes a sickle of the wine press, he's, he's uh, 
judging the righteous and the wicked. And this is bloody warfare. He's on a horse. There's so much blood that his robe has been dipped in it as he's going forth. And some people have said, well, this must be the blood of Christ himself, where he sacrificed himself. And that is a possibility, but that would mean that Christ's blood is on his own robe. But in fact, the white robes of the church are white because we washed it in the blood of Christ. We've been forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice. And so therefore, we're able to stand in heaven in white robes. And that's our hope of the gospel, is that we don't stand before Christ in judgment with our own deeds, saying, you know, God said, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Because the answer to that is even our best actions are like filthy rags to Jesus, to God, the holy God. But because of his blood shed for our sins, he paid the penalty for those sins. When we stand before a holy God with flaming eyes of fire, is able to see through. I mean, imagine the shame. Adam and Eve in the garden, they they, they ate of the tree. They lost their original righteousness. They stood before God, and, they, and it's described as they are naked. And, they try, and they're ashamed, and they try to hide themselves. They try to cover up their own sin with fig leaves. And God says, no, I said the day you eat, you shall die. But they did not die because God clothed them with the skin of an animal, thereby sacrificing an animal, shedding blood, covering them with the skin, representing foreshadowing Jesus Christ to come. So the only reason Adam and Eve were able to die is because one day Jesus would die even in their place. Jesus has died in our place. Or you will stand before God outside of Christ and be judged completely with fairness and justice. And the first thing we learn in church is do not yell at God for justice because you might get it. What we cling to and cry out for is grace and mercy. Help, please. I don't deserve it, but in Christ, I do (laughs) because he's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my brother. He's my friend. I've been adopted into God's family. He is I am now no longer uh, inherited Adam's sinfulness, but I have credited to my account all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we stand for. But we live in a world where it's like things are going rough. There's a lot of evil. There's this war. There's some illness that went around a while back I've heard of. There's all these things that are happening that are difficult, on top of difficulties, on top of difficulties, on top of difficulties. It's the way things are. And we don't teach it. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have these difficulties. That's not true. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible may even teach the opposite at times. But we go through our difficulties with Christ, our faith gets us through these difficulties. But what is happening behind the scenes are the enemies of the cross, the enemies of Christ, Satan, whose ultimate goal we've seen in Revelation and in the Bible, is out to attack the church and destroy the church, destroy the image of Christ, particularly on this earth. God is on, Jesus is on his white horse. And he has flame of fire's eyes. And on his head are many diadems. On his name written a name that no one knows. He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. A name by which he is called is the Word of God. So we're talking about the Word of God going forth in the world and it's producing this. We're in warfare. Spiritual warfare is when you really start proclaiming the gospel. The closer this church gets every time, the closer this church gets to being on the verge of having some remarkable opportunities where it looks like we're really going to have the gospel going forth in powerful ways. 
it's like the rug is ripped out from under us in some ways. Somebody gets angry, somebody leaves, somebody causes a problem. There's, there's issues, there's all these things. It's going to happen again because we're getting close again. Watch for it. And how do we respond to these things? Prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, to one another, and to the world, and loving one another all the more as we see the day approaching, and encouraging one another all the more as the day approaching. If you are a person who has um, negativity, and you see where the problems are, thank you. Uh, we, we desire that. But you need to be the type of person that's able to handle it in love. Speak in love. Pray. Get your hands dirty and help do the work of the church. That's the only way you grow is trying to do the gospel work. And that's how we love each other. And it's messy. You're gonna, I guarantee you, everybody on the session has had some kind of problem with each other, but none of us on the session has any kind of problem with each other. You know, it just goes like that. The deacons the same way. And they're not as good as us, but they do all right. And it's the same thing with other things. And we're also, we have these committees. You know, women, you know, missions. You got to be careful with these things as they start to work too and they start to accomplish good things because Satan will get in there and start to try to dig up problems. But that's all to the glory of God because what God does is I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we have to keep in mind it is not... My kingdom is not your kingdom. It is Christ's kingdom, and he has us on mission, and he is fighting the battle. He is on a horse. <laughs> he is going forward, and the, this white horse is a kingly army horse. And 14, the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following the white horse. And look where we're on, white horses, okay? Not just one white horse. We're all on white horses. We're going forward. We're following Christ, following Christ, following Christ. He must win the battle. And what we see all through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, is they're going into the promised land. He's teaching his people, trust me, follow me. I go before you. I go behind you. I'm in the midst of you. I will fight your battles. You will have some things to do yourselves, but to Christ, to God, goes the victory. If you decide, remember what happened. They decide that they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They, they see how difficult it looks like it's going to be, and they say, not going to do it. Not going to do it. And so what happens? God says, then you're going to get judged because you're not listening to me, you don't love me, you don't have faith in me. Then they say, we'll do it. <laughs> we're going in. And he said, don't go in now. It's too late. Oh, no, we're going to do it. Now they decide to go in without him. They weren't going to go in with him, and so they're judged, and now they try to go in without him, and they get judged again because they, they lose. And so what we have to remember is we follow Christ. Where is he going? What is he doing? You don't go down some blind alleyway and then call on Jesus to come down there because you found some work for him to do. Jesus goes these places and you follow him. There's things in our lives that happen and they all happen for a purpose and for a reason. All things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Are you called of God? And you are called of God. The question is, what is your response? Are you... Um, does the Holy Spirit speak to you by the gospel and you respond? And that's what we're called to continually to do. Um, this, and then we, uh, we're, we're over here, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. And again, this is the word of God to strike the nations and he will rule them with a, a rod of iron. The rod is a word that um, comes from um, the Old Testament too. And it's where we hear it is in our call to worship this morning was, um, 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Dark, I don't know what's going on. It's scary. All kinds of things are happening. But I don't fear evil. Why not? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So why is David, in this psalm, getting comfort from this rod that here is a rod of iron and he's dashing the nations to pieces, which is good news for the church because if these are evil nations that are trying to attack, powers beyond our control are not beyond God's control. So the church does what it's supposed to do, come what may, and God accomplishes his purposes all the way to the end until we're glorified in heaven and we see, look, you won. It might not look like it today. Or, you know, it might start looking like it today. But this rod is a rod that the shepherd uses to beat off the enemies that come in, the predators that come in to attack the sheep. He knows he has a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is how it begins. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. His rod and his staff. His rod. Something's coming at me. You ever been in the dark? <laughs> I know you've, always, you've been in the dark, and you feel like something's coming. You ever gone upstairs in the dark, and you feel like something's coming up behind you, and you kind of go, ooh, you got that kind of feeling, you know? It's like, oh, what is that? Because your mind can do all kinds of things. But if you're really in the dark, and you're walking through the woods, and you know there's things out there that might be able to get you, imagine how scary that is. And then he says, but there's a shepherd that's shepherding you, and he's got a rod, and he beats off these predators, and that's what he does. Indeed, the word rule here it says, he will rule them with a rod of iron is actually the word for shepherd. He will shepherd them with a rod of iron, but the word for shepherd also means to rule. So we kind of get, you know, we get a lot of ideas about what shepherds and sheep and all these things are, but when the Lord is our shepherd, he is a king, warrior, God, shepherd. There is nothing that's going to come after his sheep that is stronger than Christ. And this is what we see happening as he comes forward. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. He's, that's furious over what he sees happening in the world opposed to Christ and the church. Furious over these things. So if you think God isn't affected by things that are affecting the church, you're wrong. He's furious over these things, but he's not out of control. We get furious, the last thing you want is to see the fury of a person because all of a sudden they break things that are special to them and stuff. Not God. God is ruling in perfect righteousness, justice, and holiness. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is in total control over the kings and the lords. And I'm going to finish with these things. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great, small, and great. So this is terrible. <laughs> birds are going to come down and, and eat all these things. So we're going to close by turning to 1 Samuel. Chapter 17, this is David and Goliath. So if you can find 1 Samuel. Chapter 17. And this is what we're going to do here as we close with 
1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 41. This is David and Goliath. So it's very popular theology to say, be like David, slay your giants. Dr. Caro says, meaning is a circle. So you got this circle of meaning, and right in the middle of this circle is what that scripture is teaching. This is the primary message of this passage. Now, there are other things that you can get from it that are inside the circle, such as have faith like David. We need to watch our giants. We fight after these things. God fights for us. That's inside that circle. It's not the middle of the circle. And there are some things you might read. They're nowhere in that circle. I can't think of anything, but there's stuff that you might want to say. That also means we're supposed to do ABC. It's like, that, that's not teaching anything about this. But at the center of the circle of what's happening with David and Goliath is the whole issue of who is the true king? Is it Saul or is it little David? And what you see is the enemies of God as a huge, I mean, the Philistines, they're all out there, but there's this one huge giant enemy that's saying Goliath and he's cursing God and his people. And he's saying, fight me, you beat me, you beat us all. I beat you, I beat you all. Perfect, Saul, step up. I got this. I'm the king. Go take care of David. Go take care of Goliath. But he doesn't. He's afraid. David, the true king who represents Jesus Christ to come, who is the type of Christ to come, that does what our king will do, is he shows up and he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's blaspheming God of Israel? Who is this? And he's, he can't take it. And they tell him. And he says, I'll do it. And Saul says, I will allow it. <laughs> because what he's, here's, what, here's Saul's plan. This is what would happen a lot. Send somebody out there. Somebody's got to do this. We're probably going to lose, and then we're going to just go in and fight the war anyway. So go ahead and send somebody out. Might as well be David. Let's do it. Take my armor out there. I'm trying to, you know, here, take my armor. Help you out. Well, this is like the King, King Jesus trying to take the world's armor, trying to take... You know, all the things that, so the church trying to use worldly power to defeat true Goliath, death, Satan, um, it's not going to work. He goes, for we go forth in the power of Jesus Christ. So if you look in verse 41, the Philistine moved forward. I just, David, the, the giant, okay? Picture it in your head, it's kind of cool if you can see it, okay? He moves forward and he comes near to David. Big, little. The she, and he has a shield bearer in front of him. I don't know if I remembered that. So he's not only is he a big old giant, he's got a shield bearer in front of him coming out. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained them. In other words, he's like, he's nothing. He's nothing. Why is he? He's, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? This is the giant. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. You recognize that from Revelation? This is the reversal now that Jesus is saying. You see how Satan and the giant want to destroy us completely. But no, in the end, the enemies of God will be destroyed completely as the giant was. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, this is Jesus. Okay, It's David, but he's speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is what Jesus is like now. This is our king. 
This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All the earth may know, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly to the battle to meet the Philistine. And David put in his hand, put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, put it in his sling, slung it, and hit the Philistine right in the middle of his head. And the stone sank deep in his forehead, and he fell down on his face to the ground, the giant. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And so just to get to our close, we have no sword. What we have is the sword of the Spirit, the, the Word of God. That's the power of the church. Right. First thing is to believe it yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Find strength in it, find comfort in it, find meaning in it, find the truth in it, then comfort one another with it, and then tell it to the world. If the world sees that we're like Saul and we shake before giants, rather than saying our king, why would they come to our king? And if we're only telling them, be strong like me, be look at me, good Christian, be, handle your stuff like me, it won't be long before they see your problems. And so what we're telling them is, don't look at me. Look to Christ, whom I also look to, my Savior, my God, my Lord. And when we come to his table, this is him saying to us, you're confessing you need me, and I'm confessing you have me. And it's a communal thing. It's not just you and God, it's us and God. So let's pray. Father God, you have defeated, you will defeat all of your and our enemies. Help us to, to see the fact that when the sinner comes to you, you are gentle and lowly. You are, you are gracious and kind and strengthening. But to our enemies, Lord, you are a sovereign warrior king. Help us to love our enemies during this time of common grace where we are called to call people to you so they might escape this wrath to come. So we know that ultimately, and we'll see next in this chapter in Revelation, even the powers behind these evil powers will be put to death. And we'll see even the death of death. So we thank you. Pray that you'll help us to be um, faithful, strong, prayer warriors, going forth, speaking truth in the face of whatever might come, that we would not speak lies. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.